Good evening, church. I think everyone's sleeping. Maybe I shouldn't preach yet. Good evening, church. Ah, there we go. It is great to be here, right? It is great to see you here, both members and visitors alike. We don't want to show up here at DOA, right? Dead on arrival. We want to be alive and enthusiastic for our God. We're glad to see you tonight. Let's go to God in prayer, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your greatness, the great creation that you've made, your order of things. And Lord God, the perfect order and your magnificence. We, we thank you and we honor you. And tonight we're here to worship you. We pray our worship will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight and in accordance to your will and your way. Please help us. Help us, Lord God, to rid our minds of worldly thought and to focus only on you. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name. We pray and thank thee for be thy will. Amen. So tonight, a diamond in the rough. Uh, we're going to Acts chapter, chapter 8. Diamonds are gorgeous. They're transcendent beauty. And, they're, and there's something about diamonds. Diamonds are hidden, right? It's kind of like you think about humans, that sometimes you think about a person's talent, it's kind of something that's hidden, right? And diamonds are hidden inside of rocks. They, you excavate them, and you, you cut them, and you polish them, and and then becomes this, this beautiful thing. And to the trained eye, um, you know, we, I can't notice the cut and the, and the carrots and the clarity uh, of a diamond. I know they have, you know, codes behind them and letters and all that good stuff. Um, but a trained person can. And I know God, when he looks at humans, he has the trained eye and he sees our souls, right? And he knows, what, he knows what we're made of because he made us. And tonight I want to use the analogy of a diamond to describe the value of a person to each God. Or maybe our own, or to our God. But maybe more so our own value. And hopefully we can see ourselves differently or better than we have in the past. Diamonds are not all found. There are lots of them still in the earth. Just like the world. There's still so many souls still out there. Right? That... They need to be found, but they're lost. They, just imagine and think about this for a moment. A person who uh, doesn't find Jesus never realizes their true potential. They never realize what God has truly in store for them. Think for just a moment about people. Do you know of anyone growing up, right, um, who you think back on that person's life and you go, there's no way that person is ever going to change or they're never going to become a Christian, or whatever it is. And then years later, you, you walk into maybe a church building or, or somewhere, and you see them, and you go, wow, tell me your story. What, what happened to you to cause you to change and to be the person that you are today? And the answer is Jesus, right? You, know, you run into God, and he changes you. He can transform you in, in amazing ways. And, and I want to start off with the obvious, and and then, and then move maybe to someone that's not so obvious. And that's Paul. So Paul, can you imagine what the early church felt like when they saw Paul in worship? You know, I look out and go, oh, wait a minute. What? You know, the first question is, what is he doing here? And then the second question is, how did he, how did he get here? What happened to Paul to change Paul to, into the person that he is today? So Acts chapter 8 beginning at verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. 
And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house at the house, and dragging off men and women, and he would put them into prison. And then you think about Paul, right? Saul this time, uh, chapter, nine, chapter 9 and verse 19, uh, after he had seen Jesus, verse 19, he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days was, uh, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus, but proving that this Jesus is the Christ. So what happened? He was humbled. See that? He was humbled. God loves Humility. No longer Mr. Arrogant. Now he's a humbled man. First Peter please chapter chapter one. Diamonds are not revealed until there is some kind of pressure applied to them. How about Moses? You think that Moses was rough around the edges? Yeah. Right, and we need to go through and start thinking about all these men in the Old Testament. The Bible calls some of them heroes of faith, men and women. But I want you to think about these men and women who who've come to God in the Old and New Testament, and think about the unlikelihood that they would come to God of all people. Right, First Peter one and verse six. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary. You've been distressed by trials. The proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Just a little bit of pressure. It's amazing what pressure does to, to this rock, to our souls, to, to we as, as humans. And it's amazing also, uh, turning now to Acts chapter 10, when that pressure that comes upon us challenges us and changes us. And then God transforms us. What about Cornelius? You ever think about Cornelius' story? Cornelius was a man who was a, a centurion, who was a leader of, of, uh, of troops, many people who are under him. And he sits and he listens to the message of Jesus and in Acts 10, in verse 30, Cornelius said, Four days ago, at this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the tanner by the sea. And so I sent to you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all present, here present before God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. 
He humbled himself. And they all gathered together, Gentiles. Cornelius is one of those persecutors of the church. He works for Rome, right? He works for Rome. He's a leader. He persecuted the church by order or by command. Think about Cornelius knowing clearly what he's about to undergo, right? He, he meets Jesus. He hears the message. They're baptized in the Christ. He's a Gentile, and he knows that if he comes to Jesus, he's going to defile Rome. And he knows that in order to come to Jesus, he has to leave his friends. He has to leave Rome. And he has to go against all the other commanders. And yet, Jesus was enough. For him to make that transformation. Who would have ever thought that a centurion would come to Jesus? Knowing the rules, knowing the laws of Rome. That a centurion would would defile the idea, if you will. That Rome, this mindset they had. That anyone that becomes a Christian must be persecuted. And must be destroyed. Even the Jews, if you will. The leaders. The mindset that they had. And yet... He met Jesus, and he humbled himself. And look at what happened next. 1 Peter chapter 2. It is a true analogy. Christians are a little bit like diamonds in the sense that we are a little rough. We're a little rough, and we need some chipping away, and we need some, some true help in order to realize our true potential in Christ. And we're seen as vessels uh, of God. And God is the one who polishes us up. And even though it takes a lifetime of polishing, because I'm sometimes so reluctant, right? Rebellious, arrogant, stubborn. God takes a lifetime to polish me up, polish us up, to make us into the people that he wants us to be. But sometimes I fight God. Do you? Do you fight God's will with your own will? This is what I want. Do I make life about me sometimes instead of making it about Jesus? Sure. Doesn't make it right. We have to learn how to let go and let God, don't we? So look at what he said. Verse 4, 1 Peter chapter 2. And coming to him as living stones, rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God. You also are living stones and are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Recognize that our sacrifices would not be acceptable to God, but through Jesus they are. And so when someone says that I'm doing this for the Lord, praise God for you doing that. But if it's not through Jesus' authority, it doesn't even make it to God. Think about what God does for his people whom he has deemed precious because of and through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, for polishing me up and transforming me. Psalm 103, please. So for precious in the sight of God, how do you see yourself in your walk of faith? Do you see yourself as being one who is truly precious in the eyes of God, thus understanding that you are precious. 
You are important. You are valuable. Not just to God, but even to humanity. Like diamonds that, you know, we start out just as they did. They're a chunk of coal, right? Kind of what a diamond is, it's coal. We're dirt. But God can make that into something amazing. And that's exactly what he has done. I want to look at verse 13 of Psalm 103. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So here's a man, a woman, a child who has humbled themselves before God and God had compassion on that individual, on me, on you. And thank you God for that. And in verse 14, for he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but just dust. That's it, right? You pick up a rock, you won't even know it's a diamond. Unless you, unless you chip away the edges and apply some pressure and do all those things that are necessary through the excavation process. But God sees you as something valuable. But he remembers that we're just dust. That's all that we are. It's God who makes us into what he wants us to be. And in verse 15, as for man, his days are all like grass, as the flowers of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And his place acknowledges it no longer. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew about the grass and the clippings? Basically, you know, if God so raised the grass of the field, you know, there's, there's grass. What do we do with grass? We cut it on a regular basis. We cut it and it, and it dies and it grows back and we, we clip it, we cut. We, and God says, we're, we're just like, we're just like that. But to God, we're precious. We're important. We're valuable. Verse 16, when the wind has passed over it, it is no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and who remember his precepts to do them. When God gets a hold of us, look, look again at verse 15. When God gets a hold of us, as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When God gets a hold of us, we flourish. Right? When you let, him, when you let God do what God does, we flourish because of the greatness of our God. We are the pinnacle of God's creation. He formed us wonderfully, right? What did it take for God to make us? Well, nothing for God. But when you think about the human anatomy, it's absolutely astonishing. It's just the mind itself or cells or or the the, the skin or whatever you're thinking of. The the, the body is incredible with its systems. And God made us so intricately and so beautifully that we become motivated by his love. We're motivated by the love that God does for us. When God takes this, this old piece of coal, he can turn it into a beautiful diamond. What does he do for us? What does he do for you? What will he do for us? Psalm 139. Even the Bible itself reveals to us some greatness, if you will, in our God. He says in verse 
13. No, verse 23. Search me. Anybody want to scratch that one out? Search me, O God. And know my heart. You see, in order for God to fix us, you, you and I have to let him. Right? We have to allow him to do his work. He's not going to violate our free will. So we have to be willing to ask God, humbling ourselves to search us. Search me, God. All this stuff inside of here that needs to go, make it go away, God. So the psalmist says, search me. He's asking God, search me, O God, and know me. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. How many of us want God to truly do that for us? Transform us and change us, right? Get rid of that old stuff, that bad stuff that's leading me away from God. That might mean we might need some applied pressure, right, to help us to, to change. Maybe we might have to go through the fire a little bit to wake us up, to shake us up and transform us. How many of us want God to take us and mold us and make us into what he expects us to be? You will never know. I'm going to Galatians chapter 2, please. You will never know your true potential until you allow God to have hold of you. You have to give it to him. How many of us are willing to give it to God? How many of us have already given it all to God? That means I've got to empty myself, church, right? I have to let go of those things that I want that are leading me astray, those things that really aren't important. And I've got to learn how to put priorities first. And my priorities have to be spiritual priorities, right? The spiritual has to come before the physical. Right? I have to put God before all things. How many of us are ready for that? Or how many of us just want to remain a piece of coal hidden inside of a rock? In Galatians 2 and verse 20, the apostle says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who, who loved me and gave himself, delivered himself for me. Thank you, God. How many of us are ready to go through the fire? Psalm 139. Doesn't sound like fun. And I'll tell you this, it, it's not a whole lot of fun. But there's an amazing transformation when you recognize what God is doing in your behalf. Dear God, search me and try me and see if there's some hurtful way within me. Psalm 139 and verse 13, For thou didst form my inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Mine eye have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days that were ordained for me, when as of yet they were none of them. So here's a good question. We're going to go to Isaiah 45. Here's a good question. Those days that God has uh, ordained for me, 
he set it out there and he's okay Tony if, if you choose me then here's where we're going to go and then I get off the path and God brings me back on the path and when I humble myself and surrender to him what did I miss in all that time that I was off the path think about the spiritual blessings in Christ some of the spiritual blessings maybe that I've missed out on because I haven't allowed God to truly mold me the way that he wants to. So the analogy, if you will, that God gives us is uh, the potter and the clay. I want to look at Isaiah 45, though, in verse 9. Listen to what it says. Woe to the one who quarrels. See, that's the problem right there with his maker. I mean, here God's trying to mold me, and I'm arguing with God. No, not like that, Lord. Make me like this. (laughs) Right? I don't say it out loud, but I fight God. I don't want you to do this to me, God. I don't want to be this. No, Lord, this is, what about me? I heard someone say this. What about me if I give everything to God? What about me? And I'm going, haven't you figured that out yet? (laughs) Woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing which you are making say, he has no hands? Woe to him who says to a father, what are, you, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, to what are you giving birth? I, the point is, is that, wait, you, you don't have the authority to do that. Right? Or is it all about my rights? Right? All about me. I have the right to tell God that I don't want God to make me this way. No, you don't. None of us do. Verse 11 says, Thus says the Lord, the Holy One, of Israel and his maker. Ask me about the things to come concerning my sons, and you shall commit to me the works of my hands. It is I who made the earth and created man upon it. I stretched out the heavens with my hands, and I ordained all their hosts. I have aroused him in righteousness, and I will make all his ways smooth. He will build my city and will let my exiles go free without any payment or reward, says the Lord of hosts. And then Israel says, Lord, you can't use Cyrus for that. He's a Persian. And God says, I'm the potter. You're the clay. I can do whatever I want. Isn't that great that God can do whatever he wants? And one of the things that God does not want to do is violate my free will. God, I, I, one day I prayed, I said, Lord, if you could, I'm going to Psalm chapter 30, Lord, if you could make me into a robot, then I'll always obey your will. That doesn't work that way, right? God wants you to love him and choose his way. Am I willing to love God back and choose the will of God in my life? Psalm 30, verse 4 and verse 5. Saying praise to the Lord. You godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor, yeah, that's worth it, isn't it? I mean, right? I really, I'm winning on this one for a lifetime. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want God to just hold on to you and wrap you up and keep you? Verse 10 says, Hear, O Lord, and be gracious to me. O Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning and the dancing. Thou hast loosed my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. 
that my soul may sing praises to thee and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to thee forever. Okay, so God can turn my, my sadness into joy. Thank you, God. Who does that? Say, so, well, I did that myself. No, you didn't. God did it for you. Why not let God, Romans 12, please, why not let God, allow God to mold you and make you into the person that he wants you to be so that you can complete your ministry in Jesus? Why not let him have it? Why not allow that challenge in your life? When I say challenge, remember, Philippians says that God is working in you to carry out his will. So really, you don't have much to do. God's doing it all. You just have to show up, right? Just show up, and God will take care of the rest. But how many of us are willing to show up for God? Remember David and Goliath? Just show up. God's got the rest under control and have faith, right? Throw that stone that needs to be thrown so that others will surrender. Romans 12, God's transformation. I I beg you, I I beseech you, I'm imploring you. Verse 1. He says, I I urge you, I I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Why does he have to beg us to do this? Because it's not something we really want, right? As humans, we're like, well, well, God, do you really want me to do this? Yeah, I'm begging you to do it. Remember, it's an inspired writer. It's coming from God. I beg you, church. I'm beseeching you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. I'm begging you to do this. Why? I've got so much over here in store for you. Let me bless you. Let me help you. Well, Lord, what, okay, but what am I going to... Okay, Lord, so if I give myself to you, then what are you going to do, right? And then, but how long is it going to last for? And then, but what do you really want me to do? And then, how am I, you know, no, just, I'm begging you, he says, present your bodies as... A, an acceptable sacrifice to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Verse 2. I need you to stop doing something. In order for me to work in you, you've got to be different. Right? Where does that start? It starts up here. You, you know, stop being conformed to the world. Right? So, so many of us, so many Christians are so worldly-minded. Just, we've got to stop being conformed to the world, be different, go against the grain, go the opposite direction of the world. The world's never been a safe uh, people, if you will, to follow. He says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, that perfect and acceptable and good will of God. Be ye transformed. Do your part. Just, just do it. Right? I think Nike took, Nike stole that, you know, Victory, the Nike sign, victory in the book of Revelation, and you'll gain the victory. Just do it. Just, just do it. He said, but preacher, I, I really don't, um, we're going to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I, don't, I really don't know how to do it. Tell you where it starts. Humility and prayer. Humble yourself. Stop making it all about you. Make it about God. That's where it starts. And pray. And then pick this up and let it start transforming your mind. Instead of your first thought being one of revenge, instead of your first thought being one of anger, what will happen is you'll, 
you'll learn to be more patient and tolerant, compassionate and kind and gentle. Instead of the mind being judgmental, you'll learn to look at at yourself first and let God be the judge. And if God's the judge, everything's going to be all right. You'll learn to, to take things off your plate that was never supposed to be on your plate when you allow God to transform you and renew your mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though the outer man is decaying, yet, yet that inner man is, is being renewed every single day. When someone says, dear God, give me the strength. The strength for what? Just for today. And then God says, tomorrow, I'll give you the strength to make it through tomorrow. And just get through the day. And then, and then tomorrow, the next day, I'll give you the strength to make it through that, through that day. But, but God is giving us the strength, right? Your focus, our focus, has to be, as we're living on the earth, our focus has to be in heaven. Our minds need to be in heaven while our physical bodies are on the earth, right? See the victory, See the victory. When you're, when you're competing in, in athletic events, you see the victory. You don't, you don't see the starting line. You see the end, right? You tell yourself, I can and I will. And you do it. And you're able to do it. See the victory. Put yourself there. And then God continues to say, the only thing that's going to trip you up, well, it's sin. And then, and then there's some trouble that comes. And, but remember, the trouble that comes is just for a moment, right? So it's going to come for a moment, but, but don't worry about that. When you compare that to the victory, there's no comparison at all. For momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal way far beyond all glory or all comparison. There's nothing to compare heaven to. Someone said, why didn't God just tell us about heaven? Because you wouldn't get it. That's why. We don't understand it. That's why. Why doesn't God talk more about eternity? And what's up? Because you wouldn't understand it. None of us would. So instead he says, listen, since there's nothing to compare it to, when you're going through your trials of life, and I said sin because and we bring most of it on ourselves. Look to heaven. Look to Jesus. Look to God. And then in closing, in verse 18, while we look, not at the things which are seen, right? stuff on the earth, my situation, my, my dented up car, whatever it is, don't, don't look at that. Look to heaven. Look to heaven. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary or temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. We keep getting stuck in the temporary. And our focus is on temporal things, carnality, worldliness. No, instead focus on eternity. Because that's where we want to be with God one day. And you know, when you're, I learned this when I was, I'll just tell you this, I mean, I close out. First learned how to drive a motorcycle, I decided I better go to, well, I already knew how to drive a motorcycle, ride a motorcycle, so I figured I had it all under control. Pretty arrogant, right? I got this all figured out. So why would I go to a class? Well, then the military said, if you're going to ride a motorcycle, you have to go to school. Ah, okay, whatever. 
So I didn't humble myself. I had to go. And you know what I learned in motorcycle class? I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle at all. <laughs> at all. I mean, at all. I thought I had it all figured out. No, I did not. I did not. What a joy it's going to be when we get to stand with Jesus one day in the end and realize what we should already realize right now. I don't have it all figured out. I thought I did, but I really don't. So tonight, the, the urging from me is the urging from Romans 12. Let God transform you. Give it to God and let God mold you and make you into the person that God wants you to be. The encouragement is yours tonight. If we can help in any way, uh, we ask that you'll come while together we stand and sing our song of invitation. <laughs>